This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Heal. Now, today the news dominating is not actually the autumn statement, though we'll come to that, but instead net migration with new figures out today, suggesting it was a record last year of 745,000, and it's only slightly lower this year. Kate, can you just talk us through the initial figures? Sure. So net migration in the year to June hit 672,000. Of course, we're talking about net migration figures. It was roughly 1.2 million people who have actually come into the UK and roughly 500,000 people who emigrated. But the ONS has done a significant revision to the 2022 figures. So this would have been a record high, but as it happens, last year was a record high at 745,000. So I think one of the big rows today is, has net migration hit a record high, or is it actually slightly falling? Have we seen peak migration? Uh, Now, obviously, from the government's perspective, they want to go with that latter argument that it's coming down slightly. Others are saying, no, 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 this is a technicality. There's an obvious worry here that, 140,000 people weren't accounted for in the last set of data. Where were they? Why didn't we know about that? Because, of course, we're talking about legal migration here. So all of these people should be on the books. It also raises questions about how trustworthy this new 672,000 figure is. But, you know, I think the the bigger thing to point to here is, is who are these people? And since the Boris Johnson immigration reforms, these are people who are working, who are studying, who are humanitarian or refugee people seeking visas. And I think that makes the whole conversation a bit trickier because if you think that headline figure is too high, and politicians do, you've got James Cleverly saying we want to reduce legal migration, you've got Kiyostama saying that these are shocking figures and it's a failure of the whole system and the government that people aren't skilled enough in the UK that that we need all these migrants. And But it gets a lot trickier when you start breaking down those groups and saying who you think should go, who don't you think uh, should be in the UK in, in, in that, you know, rather big headline number. So I think the debate today is is almost a wash. You know, you can argue about the technicalities. These are really high figures. The, the bigger question to me is, does this figure have merit? Who are these people? What are they contributing? Um, and of course, does the state have the infrastructure to account for them? So many of the areas where we do feel that tightness around schooling, say around housing, these are things that ultimately the state is in control of, not the private sector. And James, what has the reaction been so far? I think perhaps unsurprisingly, Suella Braverman is not into these figures. No, she's described them as a slap in the face of the British electorate. But uh, she was Home Secretary up to quite recently. Yes, she was, yes, uh, for, for a year or so. And I think that this is a persistent problem, really, which is that you've had... Uh, I think the last couple of Home Secretaries have sort of talked about bringing down the pledge to that Conservative manifesto in 2019, which talked about reducing the figures, which was then less than a quarter of a million. And instead now we have seen, first under the Boris Johnson government, now under the successive administrations, those figures continue to be extremely high, uh, bobbling around the sort of 700,000 mark. In the government's defence, I suppose you could say that Rishi Sunak in May of this year pledged to take overall migration um, net migration down than the figure he inherited. And I think he's, these figures should do show a 10% reduction 
on the revised statistics for 2022. I think also it can be worth pointing out that Boris Johnson, despite heading the Get Brexit Done government, never really showed much interest in getting legal migration down, rightly or wrongly of that. The criticism to that, of course, is then, as Kate alludes to in her answer there, how on earth can you trust the ONS, uh, given that they've just today revised the figures upwards again? So I think there's a bit of Tory scepticism about that, not just confined to the right, I should say. The most most kind of vocal reaction has been from this new Conservatives group of MPs. It's about 25 members of those or so. A lot of them would have been Suella Braverman supporters uh, last year and potentially would have backed her had there been, if there was a leadership net contest, maybe next year. But there are also other people coming out and saying um, critical things like Neil O'Brien, who until just last week was a member of Rishi Sunak's government, uh, and making the point that this is not just a sort of one-term thing, one prime minister thing. This is a 30-year failure to get migration down to the levels promised in successive manifestos across all parties as well. And Rishi Sunak, of course, has marketed himself as a, a speaker of hard truths. I think really the hard truth is that, you know, the, the vision presented by the New Conservatives, which I heard at the party conference and sort of articulated in the statement they laid out today, was of a very different system of migration. I think a lot of people want to have a system whereby Britain has lots of well-trained domestic workers here who can do these jobs rather than import them from abroad. I think the, the, the danger is, though, is that that is a long-term program which saluted successive administrations and actually it's the sort of as Robert Colville from the CPS think tank pointed out today it's an inversion of the tragedy of the commons whereby apart from the home office every single government department wants to keep migration high even though the government's overall interest perhaps would be sticking to that manifesto promise and getting migration down and ultimately Rishi Sunak with a year left of his agenda and time in office will not be able to really make a substantial reduction in these migration figures, not least because they only go up to June. So the June 2023, of course, we're now halfway, almost halfway through the year hence. And I don't think there's going to be any significant reduction, no matter what James Cleverly said in his statement today. And Kate, when we look at the figures, obviously, we don't know everything from just looking at the numbers and what's provided today. But a high proportion is ultimately non-Europeans. Yes, indeed. Um, and there's been a huge uptick in the number of non-Europeans getting work visas up to 33% from 22% last year. Again, this is part of the Boris Johnson post-Brexit reform. That new immigration system that we've been operating under for a few years cut off the legal pathway for most low-skilled migrants. You have to be on the occupational shortages list if you're going to be what we call a, a low-skilled migrant People can, you know, debate that terminology um, to, to come to the UK. So, again, these are people who are studying or who are tax contributors. They're paying their tax because the salary threshold um, is around £26,000 a year. You will be paying tax in the UK if you're earning that kind of money. But what it also did is it made it slightly easier for the non-EU migrants to come here. So it cut off low-skilled immigration pathways, it cut off free movement to the EU, but it reduced some of those burdens for people from other parts of the world to come here. And I think that was very much Boris Johnson's vision of Brexit. And because he was one of the most avid supporters of Brexit, because he ended up negotiating the Brexit deal, I think he thought, I'm going to put my dream immigration system into place. I think the debate we're seeing now within the Tory party is whether or not Boris Johnson's version of immigration post-Brexit really resonates with all the MPs in the party. I like Boris, I, well, I like parts of, I'm, I'm even more liberal than he is on this, but I, I like parts of Boris Johnson's immigration policy post-Brexit. I think he moved in the right direction. I'm Do you miss him? Uh, ooh, didn't say that. <laughs> I'm just extremely aware that I'm the minority, you know, not, 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 I'm, I'm certainly the minority on the right of people who feel that way right now. 
I think also Rishi Sunak's government has sometimes struggled with narrative. And I think that in the vacuum around these migration figures today, the government isn't really sort of saying, I mean, it says they want to get the figure down. But that, of course, just leaves this sort of vacuum really for the right wing voices to fill it. Ultimately, I think there's, if you look at the data, and Michael Simmons has done an excellent job of looking at this already on Coffee House today, there's lots of different stories. And as you said, Katie, is that now, for instance, there are more Nigerians coming to the UK than there are from the European Union in total migrants. So that whole pre-2016 system has completely changed. I think one interesting also narrative from today's figures is that the number of those coming from, I think, uh, Hong Kong and Ukraine is now down from 19% last year, so 1 in 5, to now 9%, so 1 in 10. So that is a sort of changing nature of different stories, all to do with visas, etc. And those narratives are going to be played out in the months and years to come. I just don't think it's going to be the government top down, which is going to be articulating any kind of message on this. Now, just briefly, moving to the autumn statement, I think there'll be some happiness, maybe that's too bold a word, but definitely relief in Downing Street that the measures unveiled by Jeremy Hunt, I think is probably one of the most positive front pages in Mm. months at the very least. Long time. And we talked yesterday on the podcast about the fact the tax burden is still going up, be it at uh, less high rate than it would have been otherwise. Um, But Kate, we've also had some analysis today from the IFS, which is um, ultimately saying the cost of the tax cuts in the autumn statement will hit spending on public services. Now, this comes down to the spending cuts that Jeremy Hunt announced around this time last year, doesn't it? And there is a question as to whether, when that's factored in, Labour or the Tories are really politically, if elected continue of it yes so you're completely right katie they got the headlines they wanted and i'm sure they're feeling very happy about that if there are two negative stories come out of this budget it's that actually the tax cuts that they ushered in don't come close to offsetting the fiscal drag that people are experiencing because of the six-year freeze on thresholds. The other more negative story is that he has paid for these tax cuts by essentially eroding departmental spending within government, that because of inflation and not giving more money to these departments, he's reducing the real spending power of, of these departments by about £19 billion. And Groups like the IFS and others are saying this probably isn't sustainable. To your question, Katie, you know, is this something that the Tory government may never have to deal with or would then deal with if they were re-elected? Possibly. They're not going to be the ones wanting to um, put this burden to, to fill this gap on themselves. Perhaps they'll leave that for somebody else to do or, or tackle it down the road. But I think there's a slightly quieter story here that the government isn't being as loud about, which is I'm not convinced that the Treasury in particular thinks that this is a real £19 billion black hole. I suspect that they are more optimistic about general efficiency gains and the fact that you can whip the public sector, so to speak, into shape to fill this. Uh, Back at Conservative Party conference, the one fringe event that Jeremy Hunt did uh, was to speak to the Centre for Policy Studies, and he said at the time he wanted to increase productivity in the public sector by 0.5%. And he said, if you do something like that, you know, you can start to see billions and billions of pounds worth of efficiency gains. It sounds small. It's a huge challenge. I think they're a bit more optimistic about that and that, you know, this 19 billion pound figure may never need to be fully grappled with. I suppose the pushback on that is, um, you know, how, how successful have consecutive conservative governments been at reforming the civil service, at reforming the public sector. That is no small task. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.